0: On this episode of Spacecast. Oh, sorry, oh, phone call Emily.
1: Yeah, I know. Sorry.
0: <laughs> it's okay. It might be someone wanting to talk about space tourism, actually.
1: <laughs> Maybe. Welcome back to another episode of SpaceCast, the podcast that discusses all things space. My name is Emily Martin, and I'll be your host for today. I'll also be joined by my co-host, Jonathan.
0: Hey, everyone. I'm Jonathan Andre, and I'm happy to be here.
1: So the topic of today is going to be space tourism. The reason we chose space tourism as a topic is because it's been so prevalent in the news lately, mostly because of the well-known billionaires Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson. So space tourism, as a concept, seeks to make space more accessible to the general public. It allows the general public, though only a select few, to reach an altitude that will place them either in the mesosphere or the thermosphere. So those are the upper layers of the atmosphere. And that also places them in the suborbital space. Um, So basically, there's been a lot of excitement about space tourism as a concept, but it's also brought a lot of criticism so it's been um hyped in the community because it's kind of it's been a first but also not
0: i mean yeah i mean allowing like the general public to see space
1: yeah so allowing general the general public to see space is definitely new they've definitely marketed it more than they used to um but like we've researched before we also discovered that Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson were actually not the first person to have made their own like personal flights to the latter layers of the atmosphere?
0: Yeah, so there's someone else called uh, Zeni Tito, which I believe in 2001, he funded his own flight and made it actually to the ISS. But I think right now it's so prevalent because you know you have these high-profile billionaires allowing it to be easily accessible to the public. I believe that Richard Branson actually uh, launched his first and made history. That was on July 11th. And then you have nine days later on July 20th, you have Blue Origins New Shepard that actually, you know, did the same. It went even higher. I believe it went to 62 miles, whereas you have Virgin Galactics. It's more of a space plane what they're on. They have the VSS Unity space plane, and they only went up to about 50 miles. But was what was so interesting is that, And such a great accomplishment, I mean, obviously, for both these two, but Blue Origin's flight was, like, completely autonomous. So, and that was, uh, like, pretty crazy, and it just goes to show, like, if we're there now, like, where we'll be, for example, in the next, like, 10 years. Uh, So, yeah, and it's also crazy to think that these two have, like, just done this on the same month in the same year. So, yeah, it's pretty good.
1: Yeah, that's definitely a lot of cool accomplishments, but I feel like there's also been a lot of criticism because they do say, right, that they're opening up space for the general public, but that's not necessarily the case because the flight costs are huge.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think um, for Virgin Galactics, you're in the couple hundred thousands uh, just to get a ticket more than a couple hundred thousand. And then Blue Origins, there was even even in the millions, I believe if I have the numbers correct, that one was even auctioned for an anonymous buyer. It was for 28 million, I believe. And uh, then that actually ended up going to a, um, a CEO's son. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he was only 18 years old and he got on that flight. So that Blue Origins flight that happened recently, not only launched like the youngest person, but also there was also one of the oldest uh, people in history to go to space as well. Who was 82 years old. I also cannot remember her name, unfortunately, Uh, but it it does go. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's just crazy to see the age range that allows like that is now that has now been to space. I know, but it's it's also like the way they're marketing. It sometimes feels like, you know, space tourism, the tourism of space sounds super appealing, but Like, you know, like we just mentioned, the tickets, like the base tickets are like multiple millions of dollars. And there has been talks of like lowering those numbers to the five or six digits.
0: Yeah, five or six
1: digits is still huge. Like some people just don't have that kind of disposable income.
0: Yeah, like definitely like right now it's really only accessible to like the wealthy people. Um, and I do hope that one day, I mean, yeah, even like what you just said, those digits that they do plan on lowering it is still really like too expensive for the regular person. Um, but at least like right now, cause I know it is obviously really bad for the environment too. And I'm kind of glad that it's really expensive because of course, if it was cheaper then there would be more flights per year, causing more harm to the environment. And I feel like at this stage, because it's still early on, um, there's definitely needs to be done more research. I think just to eventually, Um, make a product that's like, you know, way better for the environment than this. So at least we're getting less flights and until they can actually find a better solution where, you know, like we have electric cars, for example, right now, and hopefully there's going to be some sort of rocket or space plane or whichever, which will have no uh, negative consequences on the environment.
1: So the atmosphere is separated into five layers and space tourism is currently on its way to polluting the mesosphere and the thermosphere since we want to pass the Karman line. Um, The Kármán line basically defines what is outer space and what isn't. It's a theoretical line set up 100 kilometers above sea level, uh, which puts it exactly between the mesosphere and the thermosphere, as mentioned. Um, So this therefore places space tourism emissions above the ozone layer, which is located between the troposphere and the stratosphere. And what that means is um, that by... Affecting the ozone layer negatively it's going to contribute to the depletion of the ozone layer. And the reason the ozone layer is so important is because it absorbs like a vast majority of the UV rays um, that the sun emits to earth 97 to 99% of the medium range UV rays, if I'm not mistaken, so if. We deplete the ozone layer and we're exposed to a higher percentage of UV rays. There's a lot of um, impacts related to health and the environment. There's, I believe, an increase in cancers, notably. So basically, the emissions of space tourism will not only affect the ozone layer, but they're also going to contribute to increasing the emission of greenhouse gases. Also, since I believe that both companies are marketing um, their ability to make multiple flights within a day, but that it's also been studied that the emissions that they have for their flight, which I believe is an hour, maybe two, I think, in space, they compare their their emissions to that of a 10-hour-long commercial flight emission, which is huge, right? Because if they're trying to make that more accessible and have more flights per day, but they're like emitting so much more pollution. It's kind of worrisome.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. And I think that's why I'm glad that it's so expensive for now. So it's uh, less flights, but I mean, I feel like, you know, decades ago, space tourism might've been seen as impossible. So looking at it from now, maybe in a few decades, it will be possible that, space tourism has almost no negative impacts on the environment or none at all.
1: There's definitely a lot of negative aspects, but I feel like there's also positive stuff like we've mentioned before. There's new things that have gone to space. There's a fully autonomous flight. You said there's maybe more chances to experiment effects um, of suborbital space perhaps. I don't know if that would be interesting to the scientific community in terms of research. Um, Yeah. That'd be a more accessible layer of the atmosphere.
0: Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Good point. You actually brought up because right now they, they only go to the suborbital space, um, which of course there, you're dealing more with microgravity. Uh, Obviously the effects aren't, are not as detrimental to the human body as if you go even further in space. So I definitely think, you know, as they progress, obviously they're probably going to go higher in space. So they're going to have to think more about the negative consequences uh, that, you know, space can have on the human body uh, for sure.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: I think that eventually they, they want to make the ISS accessible with space tourism as well.
1: Yeah. I feel like that's definitely going to be like one of the milestones that they'll be aiming for. Um, I yeah. feel like it's kind of funny because we just, like I've only seen the ISS in movies <laughs> kind of thing. So it feels yeah, weird to like think that classic. someday, you know, the, your average Mr. Mrs anyone will be able to go on the ISS and visit it if space tourism goes in the direction they want it to and space travel is you know made more accessible and it's made more time efficient i guess Mm -hmm. i feel like they will you know try to aim for the moon and mars
0: oh yeah i mean definitely i think just getting to this point is already obviously a really big accomplishment as well
1: yeah, definitely. Um,
0: so, yeah, like in decades, you know, maybe we'll be going to Jupiter soon. Who knows? I mean, Ju- probably in far. Um- <laughs> I know, I'm kidding. I wouldn't but, bet yeah. on
1: Jupiter. But I feel like the moon and maybe Mars, depending on how that goes, wouldn't be out. Of
0: yeah, the, the moon question. definitely.
1: Because the moon is definitely closer.
0: Um, yeah, we've already been on the moon. Yeah, we've already like been astral, on the moon. Yeah. But
1: will space tourism go to the moon?
0: I want to say probably, yeah. I maybe. don't see why not.
1: Yeah.
0: It's definitely going to take some time, though.
1: But then there's also the question of like, will they adapt structures on the moon for space tourists? Or will it kind of just be like a, you know, a round trip where we're kind of like, yeah, we're going to go see the moon for a few days and then we'll come back?
0: (laughs) Right. Well, yeah, it's probably initially just going to be a round trip if they, you know, in a while when we get there. Yeah. Um, Then I'm sure like, once, of course, the technology is advanced, they know more about living on other planets besides Earth, maybe who knows? Maybe, you know, we'll have another house there. But uh, that's (laughs) probably a long way to go. Yeah, Mars. Yeah, exactly. It's the same with Mars. So
1: (laughs) crazy concept, honestly.
0: I know. I know. And it's crazy. I feel like, you know, maybe in like a couple centuries from now, you're going to have someone listening to this podcast and be like, wow, that's how they thought back then. Yeah.
1: It's like when we watch back on the old movies that they used to make, and then they're like, oh, "In yeah. the year twenty twelve, the world is so great, and we've I been know. to so many places." And it's like, "Wow, that really didn't happen." But it's yeah. nice to see you be so ambitious.
0: Yeah, it's because like I remember Back to the Future. I think it was I can't remember which movie it was. I think it was like twenty fifteen. We're gonna have hoverboards flying, like to the general public, for example. So, yeah, yeah.
1: It's honestly kind of crazy to think how far we thought science would come, but also that even if it didn't go as far as we would have like imagined it to, it still got so far.
0: I know. It really did.
1: So considering the negative consequences of space on the human body, I'm guessing that the companies who are going to dabble in commercial flights are going to make their crew undergo some kind of training
0: yeah i believe they already are so for example if you look at blue origin uh ticket Mm -hmm. holders will have to go um undergo mandatory training just to get familiar with the spacecraft Mm -hmm. and looking at spacex for example their inspiration Four mission which essentially they're going to uh there's going to be four private citizens that are going to be on the mission Mm -hmm. and um for that there's more intensive training of course because it's going to be for three days Mm -hmm. and i know that right now they're already doing like 60 hours a week and that's going to launch on uh, September 15th.
1: 60 hours a week is quite, quite a lot. I mean, I'm guessing it's, you know, to ensure that the training is super extensive and it's most likely going to cover a broad range of topics.
0: Yeah. So like, for example, I know that like the training will consist of like uh, operating in microgravity and zero gravity Mm -hmm. as well as uh, orbital mechanics. And that's just some of it. There's just so many things that they're going to, of course, have to be prepared for, because it's going to be orbiting around the earth if i remember correctly uh, um yeah, so that, yeah.
1: the low earth orbit i believe
0: yeah exactly and i also believe that the like the whole point of the mission is to raise awareness and funds mm-hmm. for the uh, st jude children's research hospital which is a hospital located in tennessee i believe and it's essentially so so one of the people that are actually going on that mission her name is haley and she was actually she's a young cancer survivor um, who's actually at that hospital? So and, yeah, so it's cool to see that you know, this mission, they're going to be raising awareness for it, and you know, all the hard work that this hospital has put in.
1: yeah, I feel like it definitely brings up like another facet also because, um, you know, with commercial flight, a lot of people were worried that it was mostly just like the rich, you know, feeding into their own fantasies of going to space and stuff. But to see it used as like a platform mm-hmm. to raise awareness for another cause, I think is really, really great.
0: Yeah, it's like a whole new perspective. Like, absolutely. And I think that's really cool uh, what they're doing.
1: I heard SpaceX was also collaborating with NASA and Boeing for an initiative called the Commercial Crew Program, which aims to send astronauts to the International Space Station at a much higher frequency than it currently is.
0: Oh, yeah, I heard that too. So essentially, the astronauts that will be sent there will have their spacecraft docked to the ISS. I believe for Boeing, it is the... CST-100 Starliner, and for SpaceX, it is the Crew Dragon, also known as the Dragon 2. Mm -hmm. There have been several test flights of the spacecraft in the past of going to the ISS autonomously and back, and I believe they did it with the Crew Dragon with only two people as well.
1: I also think that if missions were conducted for medical purposes, it could also be really interesting. Like if people were to be exposed to low gravity at a much higher frequency, then we'd be able to analyze the effects of microgravity on the human body in a much more accessible manner.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. And you mentioned microgravity because space Concordia, space health division, does just that with their research on essentially like the effects of microgravity on the human heart and the immune system. Mm -hmm. Uh, so just like that field, that research, you know, getting more involved, I think will, uh, will definitely just help people, um, become more educated on that subject for sure. Absolutely. And, and just like, cause you know, we touched on a lot of topics like the environment, safety. Mm -hmm. So I just have a question for you, Emily. Yeah. Uh, So I'm just curious, would you like yourself try uh, space tourism? Like if you can afford it one day,
1: Hmm. that's a good question. Um, I feel like as it stands right now, Um, I wouldn't not only because I don't have the money to do it, um, (laughs) but also because right now, um, I feel like, you know, we touched on the environmental impacts a lot, um, throughout Mm -hmm. this podcast. And since, you know, it hasn't been studied and I think, you know, we're lining up to having a lot of negative effects on the environment right now. Like, I don't think I would, but if the opportunity presents itself, you know, like later down the line and like. The, the negative impacts have been weathered, then I feel like, you know, it's definitely going to be like a once in a lifetime opportunity.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Hopefully like, yeah, I think me, like I'm, I'm kind of in a similar boat. Like, I think I would try it obviously it's just a matter of costs, but I think maybe in like 20 years when um hopefully, obviously the prices will get better. And at least at that point, cause it's kind of still new right now for space tourism Mm -hmm. There'll be like more research, maybe more safety features implemented and we'll know more about the effects, you know, it has on the human body, uh, Mm -hmm. for, uh, gravity. Um, but yeah, I think that's where I stand with that for sure.
1: Yeah. I think we're on the same wavelength here.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We started like debating almost, and then we like met, like we joined in the middle. So
1: we met halfway.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, so um, I think that's going to be it for today's episode. Um, So this is your host, Emily.
0: And I'm your co-host, Jonathan.
1: Don't forget to follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and to follow this podcast to get notified about future episodes. See you guys next time. Bye.
0: Signing off. See you guys.